0: Well, what's up, North Star? Man, we're so glad you're here with us. If we've never met, my name's Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's just going to be another few weeks, like Seth said, and we're going to be back together. Well, not everybody, but you got to start somewhere. So, if you're interested in our reopening plan or our coming home plan, then go to our website northstarchurch.org. Right there on the front of that page, you'll see a link. It'll give you all the information and that process and how we're going to do it. But we're excited. We're so excited about that day to come. Well. Like I said earlier, today we're continuing in our Fruit of the Spirit series. And Mike has said this phrase the past several weeks, and I think we need to say it every week because it's worth remembering. But he said this. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is received, it's not achieved. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's just that, that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you, it's not the fruit of me, it's him. It's his personality. So, when you invite Jesus to come into your heart, the Holy Spirit comes in, you get the fruit of the Spirit in one package with him. However, for us to bear these fruits, so we don't produce them, he produces them, we just bear them. For us to bear these fruits, we have a responsibility in that. And Jesus said this, he said, abide in me. And you will bear much fruit. What does that mean? Well, growing up, I lived in a house and we lived right across the street from a big farm. The Leverett family owned this farm. We lived on Leverett Road. They had kids that were our age, so we would play with their kids. We grew up with them. And so we would spend our family, our summers, playing with them. They had tractors, they had combines, they had four wheelers, all this kind of stuff. And we would spend our summers helping pick some of the crops. We would pick peas, we would pick tomatoes, we would pick corn, we would chuck it, we would all that kind of stuff on that farm. Well, when their dad planted a crop, what did he do? Here's his responsibility, he tilled the soil, the seed was planted, he didn't grow it, but he had to, he had to in, create an environment that was the best possible environment for that seed to grow. So he watered it. He did everything he could to help that seed grow. And that's a great illustration of what Jesus is talking about. Abide in me. Water your mind with the Word of God. Walk with me daily. Die to your flesh. All of that helps us bear those fruit. So for the past few weeks, we've talked about love, We've talked about joy, we've talked about peace, and today we're gonna talk about probably the fruit that as a dad of two kids that I need the most in my life, and that's patience. Now, it's no coincidence that this falls on Father's Day, because it's probably something that if you're a dad and you're watching, you're like, yes, absolutely, I need patience. Now, I wanna warn you, don't pray for patience. Because if you do that, you might be like the person I talked to earlier. She said, I prayed for patience, and then for the next couple months, I was in a cast down to my ankles. When, when God is producing these fruits in our lives, he puts us in situations and scenarios to where we have to bear these fruits, where we kind of get our sea legs and we walk So, I want us to look real quick at the definition of patience, and then we'll keep going. So, here's a a quick definition for you. To be patient is to endure discomfort without complaint. To endure discomfort without complaint. Now, I can endure discomfort for a little while, for a little bit. It's the last two words without complaint that kind of gets me, but that's— what makes it patience? If I'm just enduring discomfort, but I'm complaining about it the whole time, I'm not patient. I'm just living in the circumstances that I'm in. It's the without complaint thing, and that's where, like we said, God puts us in those situations. So, last week, last Friday, my family we were going on vacation, and we were with my brother. He has a house on the lake, and he has a boat and all. And so. God took me through a graduate level class on getting, on, on producing, on bearing this fruit, patience in my life. And it centered around water skiing. So my, my brother asked me, he said, hey, do you think the kids would like to learn how to water ski? So we had pulled them on tubes and all that kind of stuff. And, and listen, you got to understand, I grew up water skiing. Man, my summers were spent on the lake, skiing around the lake. And so when he said that, I was like, Yeah, that'd be awesome. So I looked at the kids and they're like, yeah, let's do it. I don't think they knew what they were signing up for. So here's, let me paint this picture for you. This is how this goes. So you have to have a boat. You have to have a rope. You have to have skis that are like two sizes too big for the kids so they can fall off and wrestle them the whole time. You have to have a very patient person driving the boat that's willing to spend all their money on gas circling you all day. And then you have to have a very gullible dad. So that was me. So we threw the skis in the water, we threw the rope in the water, we threw Josie in the water, and then I jumped in the water. And this is what took place. For an hour and a half with her, Me and my little bald head is bobbing up and down in the water. So, we wrestle with the skis. Twenty minutes later, we have them on. And then we have to get the rope as my brother drives around us. If you do this, if you've ever done this, you know what I'm talking about. And then she gets in position, and she says, go. Well, he goes. She goes five feet. She falls. He circles around us. We get the ropes. We put the skis back on. Go. He goes five feet. She falls. I swim to her. She goes ten feet. She falls. We did this for an hour and a half. I ended up swimming across the whole lake because I'd always have to catch up to her. Finally, after an hour and a half, Josie went about a hundred yards. She got up and she went, yay, and then she falls because she's so tired. So we put her in the boat. Colby jumps in the water. The whole process starts over again. Meanwhile, Dad the bobber is just bobbing out in the water, swimming to catch up with him. And the whole time I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to talk on patience next Sunday? I don't feel like I have any of it, but that's what God does. As he's producing these in our life, he puts us in scenarios and situations like that. So, I want to ask you this question. Now, we could, we could talk about many different facets of patience. We could talk about patience with God. We could talk about patience with ourselves. We could talk about patience during trying times. But today, I want us to focus in on patience in relationships. It's Father's Day. What a a great message for me as a dad. Patience in our relationships. Now, you may may be sitting there and you're like, I'm not a dad. I'm not married. Or my kids are out of the house. I'm not in that season of life. You're not going to be talking to me. And that's not true. Everything we're talking about today can be applied to any relationship you have in your life, whether it's people that you work with, whether it's your husband, your wife, your kids, your in-laws, whatever. We can all have patience in our lives. So here's the question I want us to answer today, and it's this. Why should we have patience in our relationships? Why do we need patience in our relationships? Remember enduring things without complaining? here's the first thing. If you have your your notes, hopefully you have your North Star app. If not, you can go to your app store. You can download it. Just type in North Star Georgia. Uh, The outline should be there if you're taking notes. Here's your first first thing. We need patience in our relationships because we all stumble. We all stumble. We all mess up. I want you to look at this verse, James chapter 3 verse 2. It says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. Now, James is getting a little smart-alecky here. He's getting a little catty. He says, listen, we all stumble. Hey, Mr. Perfect, if you've never stumbled, then don't worry about it. You don't need patience. You can keep everything in check. Around our house we have this phrase, we say, listen, we ain't Jesus and we ate Chick-fil-A. We all mess up, right? (laughs) So, those are the two things that never seem to mess up. But we all mess up. Matter of fact, in my house, guys, I I think I mess up and I have to apologize to my kids and my wife more often than not. And so, if I need them to have patience on me when I mess up, how much more do I need to have patience on them? We all stumble. We're not perfect. And Patience is a lot like grace. It, 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 things go better when we have them in relationships, right? It's kind of like oil in your car. So your car's not going to go far. I found this out when I was a teenager. Your car's not going to go far when you don't put oil in it. What does oil do? oil lubricates everything. Oil keeps everything, all those gears, turning and interacting with each other in a very smooth way. If you don't have oil in your car, things are going to lock up. Things are going to grind to a halt quick. And that's the same thing in our relationships. If we don't have patience, man, it's just not going to flow smoothly. Patience helps relationships tremendously. So we need patience first because we all stumble, we all mess up, and that's all of us. So here's the second thing. Patience brings perspective in our life. Patience brings about perspective. So we all stumble, we all mess up, but then when God births patience in us as this fruit comes to, to grow in our lives, it gives us an understanding and a perspective that is larger than the situation we're in. So why do we get impatient with people? Well, we get impatient because they're not moving as fast as we want them to move, or they're not learning the thing we want them to learn, or they're not acting the way we want them to act. They're not doing it the way we want them to do it. To be impatient is to be very selfish. And what we do is we get our minds and our eyes just focused on the things in front of us, But in reality, if we can allow the Holy Spirit to develop patience in our lives, then it brings about a unique perspective. It's kind of like Google Earth, right, if you've ever done that. It allows us to kind of come back and see the entirety of the situation rather than just the one thing that we're very aggravated at. It allows us to see a perspective that says there's way more at play here than we would normally see if we were impatient. And, and God does us, this with us. Look with me in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. It says this. It says, God is love. Christ has perfect patience towards us, forgiving us of sin and faithfully working in us to transform us into His likeness, All right? So let's, let's dissect that verse for just a second. We're going to tear it apart for a little bit. So let's take the first thing. God is what? He's love. Okay, we've, we know that. That's who he is. It's, it's a part of his being, right? That was the very first fruit we looked at. Everything else flows out of his love for us. So, God is love. Because God is love and he loves you and me, Christ has what? Perfect patience towards us. Because he's love, he has patience for us, which gives him a unique perspective. So, how does this play out? He forgives us of our sin because we all stumble. We all mess up. We all stumble. He forgives us from our sin. And because of his unique perspective on our life and the world, he does what? He's faithfully working in us to transform us into whose likeness? His likeness. He's faithfully working in us. That gives us that understanding that day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, year after year, He's doing a transforming work within us. What if He didn't utilize this unique perspective in that process? Well, there's salvation. So when I came to know Christ as a young boy, God could have said, Hey, You're a Christian. You believe in me. Okay, I'm taking you to heaven. It's done. The process is done. But he didn't. He leaves us here on earth, and he begins a process we call sanctification. So those are two big churchy words. Salvation is a one-time thing for all of time. I invite Christ to come into my life one time for all of time. Sanctification is a process that basically it's God growing us up. It's God chipping away everything that doesn't look like Him, taking us through peaks and troughs, mountaintops and valleys, so that we will become to look more like Him. Why does He do that? He's faithfully working over the years and days of our lives to transform us to look more like Him. He knows the beginning is of value. He knows the end product is of value. But because He has patient love for us, He develops, He has a perspective, and He knows that everything in between is of value. And that's how patience in our lives can allow us to look at dads, our children, the people we work with, in a different way that I'm not just aggravated because they're not acting the way I want them to, but I realize that there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger thing at play. I love this quote by Joseph Addison. He's a poet. He said, our real blessings, it's hard to see these as blessings, but he says, our real blessings often appear to us in the shape of pains, losses, and disappointments. But let us have patience and we'll soon see them in their proper figures. Some things only come about over time, and that takes patience. So we show patience because God is love and we all stumble, right? It gives us a unique perspective. And here's your third thing. We need patience in our relationships because it reorders our priorities. Patience reorders our priorities. There's a sequence here. Watch this. We stumble, right? We want patience. And then God gives us a unique perspective. When I have this unique perspective, now God begins to reorder the priorities and the reasons I'm doing the things in my life. So, my kids are young, right? They're eight. And 10, they both have summer birthdays. So by the time school starts back, I'll have a nine and 11-year-old. So listen, the batter's still in the oven. The cake ain't done yet. We got a long way to go. Matter of fact, I heard this phrase the other day. Someone said, they said, never judge your parenting until your kids are 35. That's probably pretty accurate. But we're in the middle of it. And um, there's, there's a verse that constantly comes in my head that reminds me that I need to have patience and allow this patience to reorder my priorities with my kids. And you've probably heard this verse before, but I want us to look at it. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And it says this, and he, he speaks to dads here for a specific reason, I think. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Why is he speaking to fathers? Well, probably because we're the ones that's guilty of it. I know I am. But what does that mean? Do not exasperate your children. We can exasperate many people in our lives. You can exasperate your coworkers. You can exasperate your spouse, all of that. He's speaking specifically to fathers here. Don't exasperate your children. And what does that mean? It it gives us that picture. It's basically saying, dads, don't aggravate the snot out of your kids, right? Right? Don't make them so frustrated by holding a bar of expectation so high that they can never jump over it, they can never achieve it. And man, I'm I'm guilty of this in my life. I told Bonnie not too long ago, I said, you know, our our kids are good kids, right? We're in this, what we call this kind of easy season right now, this elementary school we're about to get into. To, to, to junior high, middle school, and teenagers, and it's going to get exponentially harder. But I told him, I said, our, our kids are good kids. I feel like the time I get on our kids the most is when they're not acting like a 40-year-old man, <laughs> right? It's when they're acting like kids. You know, my, Colby's eight years old. He's not going to remember to keep his room clean 100% of the time. He's going to lose his hat 10 minutes before he's supposed to get on the ball field. It's just going to happen. That's what kids do. But yet, sometimes I feel like I, I hold a bar so high, and when we do that, dads, we frustrate our kids because they feel like, I can't ever please this guy. I can't ever be good enough for this man, and it's this exasperating feeling of, I just don't know why I even try. And that's what he's saying to dads here. It's the, it's the picture of the dad on the ball field that their son's up to bat, and they're constantly not just critiquing, him, but being a critic of them. Do this, do this, son, do this. Remember to do this. He swings the bat. Come on, man, do this, do this, do this. And the son finally, it's the only voice he hears in his head, and finally he's just, he's discouraged, and he can't go on. And I, I want to I be very transparent here. And dads, I want us to just kind of lock in. If you're like me, maybe you're not, but if you are, I I want my kids to—I want to invest in my kids in, intern, uh, in internal work ethic, a drive. I want them to set goals. I want them to achieve. We have a phrase we use around the house that, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? So, if you're lazy in this area, you're probably going to be lazy in this area. I, I want them to become this thing, and, and that's a good thing. We need to teach our kids those things, but there's a fine line between that And exasperating them. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I play jump rope with that line all the time. There's times where I I push them too hard and then I step back and I'm just like, what have I done? But I want to give you this hope. There's a lot of grace in parenting. And as dads, if we can repent, and ask forgiveness, not just from the Lord, but from our children and maybe our wives. We have to do that. And then we abide, we walk with Jesus, and then he'll continue to birth this and grow this fruit in our lives. So, he doesn't just say, don't exasperate, don't frustrate your kids beyond measure. He goes on and he tells us what we do need to do, and this is good in every relationship, but mainly he's talking to fathers here. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. What's he doing here? Because we have a unique perspective, now let's reorder our priorities. I don't just want my son to clean his room and learn to empty the dishwasher and fold clothes, or Josie to do those things as well, because I like a clean house. That's not—that's not why I do that. I do that because one day he's going to be married, and she's going to be married, and their spouse is going to need help around the house, and they need to know how to do those things. My priority is to raise a godly husband and wife for someone else. See, our kids are only going to be with us for about a quarter of their life. And if you have grown kids, you know, man, that goes quick. So the priority needs to be to train them up and instruct them in the Lord, to teach them how to read their Bible, to teach them how to pray, to teach them that mom and dad will fail you, but God will always be there and he never will. You may not understand it, but he'll be there. To teach them how to view people Not by the way they look or even the way they act, but view people the way God views them. Those are the things to teach them to have a work ethic. Not because I have some dream of them becoming like a professional baseball player or doing whatever or musician, but because that's instructing them in the Lord. So we all mess up. We need a little grace. We need to have patience on each other. When God births that in us, we're able to kind of step back and see the perspective of the situation. There's a lot going on. It's not about today. It's about tomorrow and everything in between. And that reorders our, what, our priorities and why we do the things that we do. What does this look like over the long haul? Given perspective, what does this look like down the road? So, my dad just turned 85 this past month in May. And so, the family and I, we went down, and we kind of social distanced, and we spent some time with him and my mom, and had a little birthday cake. And then before we left, we, um, my dad said, hey, son, I want you to come out to the, the workshop, the shed, with me, his little workshop there where he keeps his tools and everything. So we walked out there, and he opened up the door. And he said, hey, I just want you to go through here and take what you'd like to have. Now, I knew what he was doing. It, my dad just turned 85. He, this past year, he lost his eyesight. And he's in decent health, but because of that, his mobility's down. He's, he's 85. He knows that, listen, I'm only given so many years on this earth, and 85's a lot of them. And uh, I said, Daddy, you sure— you sure he goes yeah take whatever you want I don't I don't need it I'm going to heaven and so I looked and I'm just like I mean this is a tough thing I'm looking around I'm like I don't I don't want this to be happening I don't want to take my dad's stuff I don't want to be in this place and I looked down and I saw this toolbox and I said dad is that is that spoken for I have three older brothers I said Have they anybody picked that they said no now, this is the toolbox that my—I think my mom gave it to him, at, I think sometime in the 70s. I was probably little a baby or something like that, but he gave—she gave this to him. And this is the toolbox that I remember as an eight-year-old boy, like my son, my dad going out to his shed. We had a little shed. We called it the little house, and he would go out to the little house, and he would open this up, and he would grab tools out of it. And so, I grabbed the toolbox, and I took it home. Now. What you don't know is that same weekend, I had a little workshop shed project going on at my own house. I found this old shed someone was giving away and moved it, put it back together. I'm just kind of renovating it, and I'm moving my tools out of my garage into this little shed. Same weekend. So Colby's helping me with it, and we take this toolbox, and I put it in my shed, and I opened it up. And when I opened it up, the smell just knocked me over. It, it took me instantly back to being an eight-year-old boy in the little house with my dad. And I looked in here, and it was a very cathartic moment. And there were, there were tools that instantly I knew how to use. Yeah, there's a hammer, there's whatever— there's, you know, a little putty scraper here. I know what, I know what that is. But even as a 47-year-old guy, I, I pulled out things. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And, it, and then it, and it just hit me. As my son's standing there, what's my job as a dad? To do what my dad did. To put tools in the toolbox of my kids' hearts to, to, to put things in there that instantly right away they're going to know how to use they know how to love but there's going to be things that we're going to put in the hearts of our kids dad that they're not going to use when they're living in your house they're not going to use them in, until they go to college or in their 30s or in their 40s or 50s there's things that my parents put inside of me of just now unpacking. And you know what they did? They put the tools in the toolbox and they stepped back and they patiently let God do His work in my life. And what's our job as a father? Why do we need patience in our children's lives? Because one, it shows them love. It shows them when they mess up, there's grace. It, it allows us to see the bigger picture than just the moment we're in. It gives us perspective. And it reorders our priorities of why we're doing the thing we're doing then and why we're raising these little ones. So dads, I want to challenge you. As I'm challenging myself, raise them in Christ. Put the tools in the toolbox. Teach them how to use them while you can, and then step back, patiently let God work as they pull them out and use them. Before we go today, I'd like to to take a minute and I'd love to pray with all you dads, with all you fathers. So if you're at home and you're watching, maybe your dad's gone on and he's not with you anymore. And today's a tough day. Maybe you're going to be a dad soon. Maybe your kids are grown. But I want us to spend a minute and I want to pray with you. So if you're there with a dad, with your husband or granddad, I'd love for you to just stand up and put your hands on them. And we pray over them as well. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for these men. God, I thank you for these men that are walking this tough road called fatherhood. Lord, some of them have had great examples. They had a great dad, like I did. Some of them didn't have great examples of a dad, and they're just winging it. They've had to look to other role models. Some of them are are winging it, and their dad has gone on home. God, wherever these men are in their lives and in their journey, maybe they're going to be a dad one day. Lord, I pray that you can cultivate this fruit of patience in their life. And it's patience with you to allow you to do your thing, to allow you to daily grow us and make us look more like you in our lives, in our spouse's life, and in our children's life. God, empower them. And I thank you for them. Give them a wonderful day. Help their families to honor them and treat them like the special men they are. God, I thank you for being the perfect father for us and giving us the perfect example. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.